Who was um, who was here last week? Who was in who was encouraged by last week? Who was challenged by last week? I was. I was challenged. I'm going to put my hand up and say I was challenged. I was challenged because Ario was after the after the service and during the week I got time to <clears throat> pardon me catch up with Ario and he said to me, "Bro, your house." is absolutely incredible. And I thought to begin with, maybe he was just giving me a pat on the back. But he was actually speaking about something deeper than that. He was saying to me, There's a, there is a, a lot of keys in your house. Now, I, I want to give a little bit of backstory to this. When I first met Ario, the first couple of times we sat down together, he gave me a prophetic word that said that, that this house was going to be a key to unlock a door that people didn't understand, a back door, a door that wasn't the, the ordinary front door, but a, a door that would, would bring the kingdom to places that the, the kingdom couldn't be. And I, I'd forgotten about that. Then he said to me, bro, there's a lot of people in your house that carry incredibly large gifts of God. And he said, I hope this morning that there was an unlocking. That's what I felt God tell me to come and do, was to unlock people. And the reason that I was challenged was that got me thinking to be like, for us firstly, and, and I'm going to continue for the next few months drawing this out of us, but I, I started to think, and just the way my brain goes, I started thinking how many big people in the kingdom are sitting in churches and have never ever been unlocked and are never ever operating in who they really are and who they're really called to be. I get the privilege throughout the week to sit with different, quite a few different people and, and disciple through the scriptures and we're starting to get more regular times with that which is really encouraging for me because I'm getting to see people come into who they are, come into and step into who they are and that to me is incredibly encouraging. I want to honour Marcus and Sven, these guys come and are hungry for the word. Not to, to puff themselves up, but hungry to step into their gift, hungry to step into their calling, to step into who they are. And I, I was challenged because I felt God saying that it's got to be bigger than just a Sunday morning service. I've said that a lot and I've, I've, I've pushed that. But we've got to start to have it go from our head into our heart, from our head into our hands. There's got to be a reality beyond the things we've always said. For a lot of us, we've been in church 10, 15, 20, some 30 years. And that's incredible, that's exciting, that's encouraging. But there's got to be something now that starts to push out. There's got to be something that starts to happen. From the very first time that Jess and I started leading, I said, God, I will do everything you ask me to do in this role, regardless of what it looks like. Hash probably shouldn't have said that in the beginning. <laughs> no, I'm glad I did. But it's hard and it's challenging. But when I see somebody step into their call, when I see somebody come from nothing back to something, when their eyes light up because I see the plan God has for me, I know this Jesus you speak of. My heart jumps for joy because now they're operating back in the kingdom as they were always meant to. If we only get a hundred years in this place, if we only get a hundred years in this place, I want to hear those words ring out in my ears. Well done, my boy. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And that's not about something that I want to do. It's not about something I want to, uh, I want to earn myself into something. No, for all of us sitting here, you're saved. You've been written in the Lamb's book of life. Well done. You've given yourself to God. Great, that's step one. Now let's go. You see, most of the church gets caught in step one. They get themselves saved and they sit in a pew and they write it out and they write it out and they write it out. But now God is calling us to a place. God is calling us to a time to say, come on, let's go. This letter that we've been going through, this writing from Paul to the Ephesians is to say, church, oh church of Ephesians, you're in a dark place. You've got giants against you. The odds are massive against you. But there's a king who has given himself. There is a king who rules and reigns and he's rigged it in your favor. So come on, take up your plowshare. Take up your thing. Let's go. I love those times of worship. I love them. If I could stay there forever, I would. But you see, there's a, there's a building and an equipping that takes place. When we honor, we sung that song, God, when I bless you, everything changes. But it's got to change in me for you. It's got to change in me to actually go and do something. There's no good me getting changed and my life being changed and me being equipped and being empowered and being given and then for me to go and sit in my house and wait for heaven to come. See, when we sing everything changes, Lord, when I bless your name, it's being changed for a purpose, not to make me feel good, not to make me feel comfortable and okay, to make me feel encouraged and empowered to go and make change for the kingdom out there. I've always said from the very beginning that we started leading, this house is not a place to make you calm and feel comfortable and fill you back up and then send you back to the week and hope you get back through and then you drag yourself back in. I've always seen the house, I've always seen the church as a training, as a building, as an equipping center. Paul Todd Hill, a friend of mine, says that it's supposed to be a hospital, a school, and then an airport. Because you get healed and brought back to life, you get trained and equipped and raised up, then you get sent back out to go and do what it is you want to do. Unfortunately, in the West, in the contemporary church in the West, we have stayed a hospital. And what we've expected in this place is for people to be broken. I'm okay with brokenness. I'm okay with broken people. But by golly, yes, I just said by golly, I want you to be not broken. I will get down in the mud with you, but I want to pull you out. I don't want to wallow in the mud at the same time. I want to pull you out. I want to take you from one place to the next. Why? Because God has, has put in me a desire to lead people into him and into his kingdom. And in him and in his kingdom, there is power. There is a, a, a works and moves of him. There are things we don't understand, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But what I want more than anything is the house of God to be saying, someone help equip me so I can go back to the work. I want people running in with empty tool bags to say, I need more tools. I've used all I've got. I need more tools. I don't want people with full tool bags but no work to do. Look at all these tools I've gathered. 
No one cares about the tools. They care about the work as a people we build. And this world needs Christ right now. This world needs the church. This world needs the brother and sister to hug the lady at Coles who's had a terrible life and she's hurting and she has nowhere else to go. She need, they need the person to pay for that guy's groceries and say, Jesus loves you. I know it's insane, but Jesus loves you. The world needs us. The world needs the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we can prepare ourselves, if we can understand his kingdom, if we can learn who he is, then we can go and we can be that out there. Ephesians 4, chapter 17 to 32. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 32. One day I'll get that right, right off the bat. I wanted to read all of the rest of Ephesians 4, but I'm not going to get through it. I, I wrote it all out and about three quarters through going through it, I was like, oh man, there's way too much here. What Paul is saying to us is so imperative right now for the church as a whole. Because he says this, Now this I say and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practices of every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I testify Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Just that language, the prisoner of Christ. I don't care that I'm in a cell. I don't care that I've been beaten and bloodied and bruised. I don't care because of Lord, the Lord Jesus, because of Christ. I'll write to you from the bottom of a dark, broken cell. It's not like the ones we have today. They were cold and there was little to no food and there was nothing in there. But the, the, he manages a letter and he writes and he says, Me, because of the Lord Jesus, I write to you that you, you, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You have to decide today to change your life. You have to decide, I don't want this plan for my life anymore. I don't want the purposes and the ways of the world. I want you, Jesus. I want the kingdom. I want the life that you've led for me. But I have to decide that. I have to get to a place where I change my life. I change my life. Unfortunately, and it grieves my heart. In the West, we've created a system of church that says you come through the doors and we'll do everything for you. We'll find you a park. We'll get you a coffee. We'll find you a comfortable seat. We'll pat you on the back. We'll tell you we love you. And then we'll ship you outside to a world that's not going to do that for you. It's like a, a child being raised where you say, every, you, you get everything you ever want. Everything. You know, I don't know if you ever grew up with the, the, normally a, an only child, right? And they get everything from the get-go. 
And then the real world hits them and they start realizing, oh my goodness, it's not quite what I thought it was. That's what we've done in the church. We've said, you'll get everything you want. Come in. You won't have to do anything. We'll make all the programs. We'll do all the bits and the pizzas. We'll put it all together. This will be a comfortable, safe space where you can come away and take a rest for a while. That was never, ever what the church was supposed to be. Because Jesus says, come to me and find rest. Don't go to the organization to find your rest. Come to me, know me, and I will give you the place. I will give you the things you need. But Paul is saying, you have to change. If you're caught in a level of sin, stop. But Ben, it's not that easy. I know. So get somebody around you. Take the humility in your heart to realize this is not the direction I want to go. This is not the plan, the purpose. We want to blame everyone else around us. We want to say it's everybody else's fault. But Paul says, you stop walking like the Gentiles. You stop looking like the Gentiles. Do you not know the Christ in which you follow? I didn't mean this to, to be this forward. In actual fact, when I was reading through this at home, it was a bit more excited. It was a bit more pepped up. But maybe that worship has just burnt on my heart that we've got to get this. Church, we've got to get this. We keep hearing of the great harvest that's to come. We keep hearing of the great harvest to come. And I was broken the other day crying. I said, God, we're not ready for the great harvest. We're not ready. We can't train and equip the ones we have now. We're not ready. Help us. Help us get ready for the things you have to come. I was talking with Jess a little while ago and we were talking about just the church and, and she, said, she said to me, babe, if a thousand people came through that door, we would fold. And it smacked me in the face like a wet fish. I was like, oh, you're right. Jesus stood before a crowd and he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they weren't ready. They didn't know what he was saying. They weren't, their hearts weren't in the right place. The beginning of what we saw here on Sunday is the beginning of more and more of what God's going to do. Is it always going to look like that Pentecostal flair? No, it's not. Is it always going to be yelling and, and hullabalooing? No, it's not. But God was here on Sunday. God was here on Sunday. Hearts were changed. People's lives were broken into. And the reality that we have to face is that Paul is saying, you got to get ready. Don't look to the person to the left or the person to the right. Stop looking to Moses to go up the hill for you. you got to get ready. you got to decide, God, I don't want to walk like the Gentiles do. I don't want to walk like those who don't know you. I want to know you more. Help me, Lord. And trust that he will bring those around you. Seek for people around you who are walking in it. Say, Lord, I want you. But you got to do it. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Matthew 19, 20 to 21, Jesus, he's talking to the rich young man. 
And the young man says to him, all these things I've kept. She's talking about the things of the Torah. And he wants to be saved. He says, why? why? What do I lack, Jesus? I've done all these things since a boy. I've kept your Torah. I've followed the rules. But what do I lack? And I love Jesus' response. I think we've lost this in the church because Jesus says to him, he says this, go and sell all that you have. Give it all away and come and follow me. The challenge in this is that the young man walks away sad. The Bible says he walks away disheartened, sorrowful. He walks away sorrowful. Do you know what Jesus does? Nothing. Nothing. He does nothing. I've read that verse again and again and again. And I've cried out to God, Lord, where was your pastoral heart? Where was your care for the young man? Why didn't you chase him? Why didn't you run after him? And the reason is, is because his heart was already made up. Jesus knew that there was nothing in his heart to want to follow him. He wanted the things. He wanted the stuff. He wanted the feel goods. And Jesus said, I won't come after you. See, we take that verse that says he left the, he left the 99 to find the one. And we use it out of context. That's not talking about the flock. He's talking about the unsaved. He's talking about, in that, in that picture, he's talking about the fact that I will come after you. I will come after the lost. And we have to go after the lost. But what he says is, I will give you the opportunity. What he's saying to that young man, you want the truth, here's the truth. And he puts it in front of the young man. And he says, but you have to take it. You have to take it. You have to reach out and take it. You have to let go of the thing. You ever seen a, a, a kid who's holding two of his favorite toys, but he wants the thing that you've got, and he has, this, he has this absolute problem in his head. You can watch the child. Which one do I let go of to take the thing? That's us. That's us. God's saying, you want me. Let go of what's in your hand, and you can have me. But we get to this place where we, we, we get caught, we get caught up and we, we, we get lost in the things of, God, what, what, what can you get me? What can you give me? He says, let go of all the things you've got. Change your heart and you can come. This is challenging to us because this is the same message that Paul carried on. It's the same message. I read a slogan during the week. And the slogan was from a Christian organization. And the slogan was, you don't have to believe to belong. And it got me thinking and I, I spent some time in, in, in thought and I was thinking, what they're trying to say makes sense. I understand that we're a family, that we belong together. That makes sense. But the reality is, is that there is a kingdom of God that we have to begin to understand. And the kingdom will move and operate in how the kingdom is designed, how God designed the kingdom. And the challenge is, is the kingdom of God doesn't quite meet, doesn't quite line up with the kingdom of the world. So it says you don't have to believe to belong. No, you have to believe in Christ. You have to believe in who he is. You have to step in to all that he says he is. You have to partake of him. 
You have to allow him to change your life. You have to let go of the things that you want and the things that you think you need in order to see the fullness of who he is. That's what Jesus is saying. That was the gospel. That was what Paul was saying. Stop living in the way that the world is. That's what he's saying to the rich young ruler. Go and give over all that you have and come to me because that will get in the way of you seeing me. At the moment, the the, the the design of church that we have outlaid over generations is getting in the way of us seeing Christ. Because in our head, we've said this is how it should look. In our mind, we've decided what a church service should look like. And anything outside of that realm, anything outside of the picture that we've designed in our head is upsetting and is confronting and it's not what we want. But the problem is, and I've said this time and time again, we've got to go to the Scriptures. We've got to learn what it is Jesus is doing, who He is, how to discern Him, how to know Him. So the moment something is wrong, we go, that's not God. I can discern in this place. I can discern who He is. When Paul says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, he calls apart the futility of their minds. He says the Gentiles do not walk as the the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. That word futility means pointlessness or uselessness. He's saying to them, do not walk in the pointlessness and the uselessness of the world. Do not give yourself to something that is going to do nothing for you. John 18.36 Jesus answers, he says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be deceived over, sorry, delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. We see the disciples, I can't remember which disciple it is, but we see the disciples come and say to Jesus things like, Are we going to go and take the city now? Are we going to take the kingdom back? They had in their mind, that the Messiah, the Savior, was going to come and take back the powerful um, empire in the world at the time, which was Rome. It wouldn't surprise me if the, if the disciples had this picture as they slept of night of their king coming and sitting on Caesar's throne and taking the entire Roman Empire. But Jesus says this, which is incredibly important, my kingdom, my kingdom, He's not of this world. I don't want what they have. When Satan tempts Jesus, he says, I'll give you all of this. Jesus is just going, this is rubbish. This is broken. What I have, my kingdom, my kingdom is much bigger, is much better than this. So we understand that text, right? My kingdom is not of this world. But when things start to happen that that we don't quite, can't quite explain that we can't quite put words to we get upset and we say well no that makes me uncomfortable that's not that's not God but his kingdom is of a kingdom you haven't seen yet so how can you describe what God's kingdom looks like when you haven't quite seen God's kingdom move do I know all of what God's kingdom looks like no have I seen elements of God's kingdom moving yes But how can I stand in a place of judgment to say that's not God when his kingdom is not of this world? My dad used to always say this thing that as a kid I never really understood until 
I realized, well, it's a silly thing because it makes no sense. But the, the saying was, when an immovable force meets an immovable object, I can't remember, it's like a, it's like a um, scientific, like, what happens? You know, and the point of that is, is the kingdom of God is not an immovable force. It's the kingdom of God. When it meets our kingdom, when it meets the worldly kingdom, sorry, not our kingdom, when it meets the worldly kingdom, things happen that we can't quite explain because it's not on our grid. Because our soulish realm, our mind, will, and emotion is seeing things in a way that we think makes sense. But Jesus says, I'm not of this world. Why do you keep boxing me in to move a part of your world and your kingdom when I'm not from there? So when things start to happen, healings start to take place, uh, if spirits start to come out, demons start to leave people, things start to get a little uncomfortable, we have to keep asking ourselves, God, is this you? Is this your kingdom? What's really taking place here? When the woman in Luke 7, 36 to 50, when the woman goes in and Jesus is in the house with the Pharisees and she goes in with the alabaster box, and of oil and she pours it over Jesus' feet and she's weeping, she's crying, she uses her hair to wash his feet and she's kissing his feet. That is an awkward, unusually comfortable scene in the Bible. We read it and we go, oh, that's so awesome, the feet of Jesus. Could you imagine being in that room? Could you imagine growing up as a Jewish person reading the Torah, learning how to act, learning about all the things that, that women who are in sin, the Bible says, and they, there's scholars that argue that she was a prostitute, but, but that they are, they are unclean, they are dirty, they will take you away from God, they're, they're not welcome, they're filthy. And then all of a sudden, one of these ladies walks through the room, just her being there would make you uncomfortable, and then she starts washing the feet of a rabbi, a rabbi with Samika, with authority, she comes and she starts washing feet. That is absolute lunacy of what's taking place. Yet Jesus says, she knows my kingdom. She knows who I am. In the culture of the day, that scene is mind-boggling. We read it in a comfortable tense. That would have made the whole room uncomfortable. That would have made the entire place think, what in the world is taking place? In Acts 39, where Philip, he, he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. Go read it, Acts 39. He baptizes, 839 I think. He baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. The Bible says that when he comes out of the water, Philip is no longer there. He's been carried away to another place. And then it goes on the story of Philip. God, where, where was your pastoral heart for the Ethiopian eunuch? Where was the, where was the carrying over to be with him? Where, why wasn't he plugged back into a church? Why wasn't he discipled further? He was teleported from one place to the other. That's in your Bible. If someone came in here this morning and said, I was, I was in Sydney two, uh, two minutes ago and now I'm here, myself would go, Excuse me? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not the four-squared box you've put me in. My kingdom doesn't look like you want it to look. Jesus, pour out. Pour out on our people. Send who your kingdom, but don't do it where I feel uncomfortable. Don't do it in a position that's going to make me upset.
But God says, I've got to move. And when my kingdom meets the kingdom of this world, it's going to be messy. It's going to be upside down. It's going to be weird. It's going to be unusual. There's going to be things happen that you can't quite explain. But God is saying, that's my kingdom that doesn't look quite like your kingdom. But in saying that, in the same way that we've made church look like the way that we want it to look like, we've also made the manifestations of Christ, the manifestations of the kingdom of God, look a particular way that we want it to look. It doesn't always look like that. It doesn't always look like shake and bake. It doesn't always look like yelling and screaming and clapping louder. One of the most powerful times of God I've ever been in was in a massive hall of people. And it went absolutely silent. Dead silent. You could have heard a pin drop in a room of 600, 700 people. And the power of God, the reverence of God was unmatchable. I would take that a thousand times after all, after all kinds of different rooms I've been in with laughter and, and all different things. But the power of God in that moment, we have to stop thinking about God's kingdom intellectually and start understanding, God, who are you and what are you doing? Because in that time, we will understand who they are. In that time, we will see things. The last one is this in Acts 7. 28:39 Jesus Jesus calls out the legion of demons out of the man and they go into the pigs and the pigs run into the lake and they drown. We go, oh, that's pretty interesting. Could you imagine standing down by Lake Narang we're all having lunch and someone Debbie prays for a guy and the pigs get filled with water and just run and drown now there's now there's 10 pigs dead in the lake. There wouldn't be many Instagram posts, hashtag dead pigs, would there? (laughs) This is in our Bibles, guys. This is stuff we read. This is stuff we read. But then we see someone pray for somebody and a demon comes out and we go, oh, don't know. Oh, don't know. We have to make one very, very, very important distinction. Is your Bible... This is my computer, but it has my Bible on it. Is your Bible a history book or the living, breathing Word of God? That's what you have to ask yourself. Because if it's a history book, absolutely, stop it all. Stop it all. Let's just learn from the book. Let's learn from it and let us us be in awe of what took place. But if it's not that, if it's not that, you've got to have an intellectual wrestle and trust me, I've had it. I've had it because that, what, happens on, what happened on Sunday and what's happened in many times in my life, I feel uncomfortable because I'm a pretty straight shooting guy, A to B. I've talked about this before. If it makes sense, let's do it. And then God goes, this is my kingdom. It's upside down to you. And in my intellect, I get wrestled. In my intellect, I get challenged. In my intellect, I get I get. Okay, God, why can't it just be prayer meetings and hugs? Why can't it just be sermons and a few songs? That's easier for me. God says, because it's not your kingdom, my boy. It's my kingdom. And I'm the author. And I'm the finisher. And I'll do it how I want to do it. And I want you to come along with me. I want you to come along with me. 
I didn't get even close to as far as I was going to get. Let me finish just two more quickly. Because the first one is this. We have to discern the spirits. We have to learn how to hear from God. We have to understand who he is, what he's saying, what he's doing. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are people in the church today who are operating in a spirit that's not from God. They are moving and doing things in a spirit that's not of God. Just because someone prays and they shake and bake doesn't mean that they are from God. So what do I have to do? What do I do? I have to discern. So how do I discern? How do I discern the right from wrong? How do I discern the things of God and the things that aren't of God? It's very simple. If Josh and I have the same phone, and I need to work out which one's mine and which one's his, there are things on my phone that I know of because I look at it every day that instantly tell me that that's mine. Without even having to, to look at his, I know it's mine. Why? Because I see it every day. I look at it. I know it. I've seen it inside and out. I've seen every mark on it. I know it's mine. Bank tellers. Bank tellers, when they're training people to pick up false notes, do you know what they do? They study the real note. Why? Because there's going to be 100,000 different fake notes. There's going to be all kinds of different ways somebody's going to try and mani manipulate the real thing. So what they decided was just get the guys to know the real thing. So they learn, they study. They have to know the notes, the inside, the outside, the weight, what the picture, the way it looks in certain light, the color, the changing color. They have to understand where it moves from one place to the other, the size, the, the thickness, the angle that the notes cut at. They learn. So how do we discern the right spirit from the wrong spirit? We take the right spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and we learn. We sit with him. We ask him. We read of his word. We pray. We take time. Lord, I want to know you. I want to see you deeper and deeper into you. I pray every morning as we drive down this thing, God, may all churches that are in this, in this street, may we all know you more this better this morning. May we all see you more, know you better, pick up your heart. Why? Because when we start to know who he is, it doesn't matter what fake stuff comes through the door because all of us as a people will be able to say, that's not God. Why? I know my God. I know how he moves. I know what his spirit feels like. I know how he's speaking to me. So on Sunday, as I'm walking around and it may have looked as if I was pacing, I was praying intently. I was interceding. God, reveal to me. If this is wrong, I'll stop it right now. If this is you, I want to know. And every time I went to stop it, I couldn't. Why? Because God was saying to me, this is me. This is me. It's not what you want it to look like. It's not how you would do it. It's different. It's unusual, but this is me. So we go a little bit longer. We go a little bit longer. We go a little bit longer. When we get ourselves to a place like Paul is saying, where we are longing for the things of God, we're longing for the Spirit to not walk as the Gentiles do, we have to understand what the kingdom of God looks like. Because Paul goes on and he says this. He says, They have become callous. He's give, they've given themselves sensuality, greedy practices, every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Paul was leaning on the, on the teaching of Christ he had already given. He said, that's not the Christ I've shown you. 
That's not Christ, who he is. We have to learn the king. I'm going to finish there and we'll come back to that next week. But we have to learn the king. If we want to see his kingdom move, if we want to see him operate, if we want to see the things of God, the harvest come in, the people be um, encouraged and outworked, we want to see the remnant come forth, we want to see all these things in God, we have to learn who he is so that we can keep pressing in to what it is he's doing. Because it's not going to look like your kingdom. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. They thought John the Baptist was the, the, this weird guy who was out in the wilderness eating locusts until he carried the most important message that mankind would ever know. Until he came in from the wilderness. Who's the crazy guy? Here he is, the lamb. Oh, that's what God is doing. That's the way God moves. Why? Because he's always moving from the plans of the enemy. He's not allowing you to see. He's not allowing you, the, the, the enemy, to know what's going on. And he says, but that's my kingdom. And in a moment, I'll change a situation. In a moment, I'll turn that thing upside down. And you'll see it the way I've been seeing it this whole time. Does that make sense? I have no idea what time I started, but I think I'm finished. I have so much more in these notes. This, this section of scripture, read it and then read it again even slower and then read it again and break down every word that's in it. Paul's message to the, to the Ephesian church is church, wake up, get ready. Put on the things you need to put on. Get ready for what I've got. Understand my kingdom because when it comes, it's not going to be of this world. When I move in on that place, when I move in on your marriage, when I move in on your workplace, when I move in on your kids, when I move in on that, those things because I haven't been able to move in, you've not allowed me in, but now when you're allowing me in, it's not going to look how you want it to look. It's going to look of a different kingdom. Why? Because my kingdom's not of this world. Father, I thank you that you don't do it the way we would do it. God, I thank you that you don't do the things that we want you to do. That you do what you want to do. That you are who you said you are. That you will always be who you said you are. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The heavenly host. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you continue to guide us, to lead us. Help us to discern the spirits. Help us to know when you are moving, to know when you are in our midst. God, let us not just sing songs about you being here, but let us take, for, take in the fullness of what we're saying, that you are in our midst, Jesus. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Holy One, the creator of the heavens and the earth is walking in our midst. Lord, let us, let us truly hold that, that in our hands. Let us truly understand what that means. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing. We love you, Lord. We honor you. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.